I just had this like profound sense of knowing that I would do it all over again. Like I would do it all a million times if Phoebe was at the end of it all, like knowing that it was God's plan from, from forever that Phoebe would be our daughter and knowing that me specifically, but Matt and I together kind of had to go through that to get to her. And, you know, I, I think I'm a better mom, like, because of that, like experiencing those trials and that pain and, and then, and then coming to her, like, I, I think Matt and I are stronger because of it. I think I'm stronger because of it. And I think if, you know, if someone listening, if you're like in that season of pain or frustration or just like rest in knowing that, that there's a plan and it might not be your plan, but I think it's like safe to say that it's probably better when you finally get to, to that moment. And for me, it was like sitting in that hospital room with, with her and birth mom and being like, man, like, this is so cool. Like, I wouldn't trade anything for this. Welcome to Mother Good, where we strongly believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. I'm your host, Emily Carney, and I'm so happy that you are here. Our conversations are positive, practical, authentic, and judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. If you are looking for a meaningful motherhood community and ready to thrive, not just survive, you are in the right place. You're listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number 14. This podcast episode is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free one-month trial and free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash mothergood. And a really cool feature that I just recently discovered is that Audible actually has a lot of kids' books. So I'm really excited to start playing that for my daughter. And I'm always talking about how much I love Audible personally. They have almost half a million books on their website and in their app. So really, there's something for everyone. And I listen to audiobooks pretty much every day on my commute. So definitely recommend you guys go and check that out. And again, that's audibletrial.com slash mothergood. Well, I'm so excited to share this episode with Bridget today. Lauren and I both interviewed her. Bridget is such an inspiration and a good friend of Lauren. So I'm going to let Lauren give a little background on their friendship and who Bridget is. Yeah, so Bridget and I go back about 10 years. We were actually roommates in the same apartment in college freshman year. And it's been really cool to see Bridget's evolution from being a single young college student to now a wife and a mother to Phoebe and just seeing her go through a cross-country move and um, kind of the struggles that she and Matt, her husband, went through in trying to conceive and then going through the adoption process. So I think her story is not only fascinating, but I think her perspective is just really something that everyone can take away a lot of pearls of wisdom from. I just really love talking with Bridget because she has such a positive way of looking at her different circumstances, especially when they don't go according to her plan or what she, how she wanted her motherhood story to go. And that's something that I know that I struggle with. And I know a lot of moms, as my friends have told me and other people who follow motherhood have said as well, that it's really hard that when motherhood doesn't go the way that you expect it to, to actually be at peace with that and have a positive outlook on it. And I, at least I know, uh, for me, I know I've shared in the past with my postpartum struggles, just physically, um, not even talking about the emotional part, having to go to physical therapy and everything, but also just the small aspects of motherhood when they go, don't go according to plan. I mean, I remember when my daughter wasn't taking naps, how I expected her to, you know, she just wouldn't take naps uh, when she was a newborn. And that just 
I know it sounds really silly and small, but that just rocked my world. I thought, what? I thought babies were supposed to nap by themselves. Like I didn't realize I'd have to hold her. So, you know, just things like that. And uh, a lot of times it's hard to see the positive side and and try to figure out what you're, you've learned from whatever curveball that life throws you. So that's one thing that Bridget is so gifted at is seeing the positive. And of course, it's appropriate and it's okay to grieve, um, you know, whatever, or be upset with whatever you're going through, but also just to be able to get on the other side of that and, and see the beauty, which Bridget does so well. Absolutely. Yeah. And something I also love about Bridget's story is, is she brings a lot of diversity to the guests we've had on the show and just showcasing not only does she come from a family that was pretty much built by adoption and she and her husband, Matt, are now doing that with their daughter, Phoebe. I think that is so cool. And I think that more visibility and more people's stories with adoption. Um, I'm really excited for that to be featured on our podcast. Like you said, Bridget's perspective is just so positive, but she doesn't come off as like a Pollyanna happy-go-lucky, like nothing really gets me upset. It's more just her response to her trials and challenges that I think is really inspiring. It's a really authentic kind of positivity and joy. And it's something I think we really want to represent in our podcast and our platform altogether. I think she's a really good example of someone that we really want to give some airtime to. So I'm so happy that uh, we did this podcast with her and I can't wait for everyone to listen to it. And even if you've never struggled with infertility or gone through adoption, you will get a lot from this episode because of what we've been talking about, how Bridget does have such that positive outlook without putting, you know, without looking at the world through rose colored glasses. So it's such an uplifting and positive conversation. And we know that you'll be inspired by it as well. All right. And without any further ado, here is our episode with Bridget. I hope you all enjoy. All right, Bridget, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you guys. Awesome. So to start off, uh, maybe you could tell us about yourself, maybe some key hats that you wear, roles that you play in your everyday life, kind of like your Twitter or your Instagram bio, how you would describe yourself. So yeah, my name is Bridget. I live in Washington, D.C., the D.C. area. I'm technically in Northern Virginia, but the D.C. area with my husband of eight years now, Matt, and our four-month-old daughter, Phoebe Francis, and we have a little multi-poo named Bartlett. Um, I'm currently a working mom. I do public relations and communications work for a large nonprofit organization, um, I'm a foodie. I like cooking and wine and I'm always on the hunt for the perfect cheese board, which I guess if you have listeners in DC, I would say that Le Diplomat uh, is currently at the top of my list as far as cheese boards go. And, um, what else? I like thrifting and exploring DC with my family. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Awesome. And Bridget and I go way back just for a little bit of background. I I just thought about it and I realized it's been 10 years. Um, We were actually roommates in the apartment for freshman year. So, so much has happened in between. We both got married and started our careers and you moved across the country and now we both have kids. So can't wait to hear more about your story today. I know. I can't believe it's been 10 years. That seems like adults like say like <laughs> ten, 10 years ago. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could say that about Lauren. Like I remember that first day you pulling up in your gold Camry and I can't believe it was 10 years ago. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. 
I still have a gold primary. It's just an updated model now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. We've grown. Look how we've grown. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Bridget. And I I know that we've corresponded somewhat since you've shared some of your story with us on Mother Good, and you've always supported us. So I'm so excited to finally meet you, even if it's over the phone. Uh, And could you tell us a little bit about your life before becoming a mom? Absolutely. So my dad was actually in the Navy. So I've lived all over the place. I was born in Oakland, California, Northern California, but I've lived in Virginia, Nebraska, Tennessee and Alabama. um, So all over the place. And then for college, I went to school in San Diego uh, with Lauren. And and that's where I met my husband. Um, And it's funny, because before I went to college, I thought, you know, I'm not going to date anyone, I'm going to focus on school and starting my career. And I'm not going to get married till I'm 30. And I think it was like a month in that I met Matt and um, I ended up, you know, getting married on my 20th birthday. So I guess when you know, you know, but um, I'm I'm truly grateful that I found the person I was supposed to be with when I did. Um, But it's just funny how you think your life is going to go one way and then it goes a completely different way. Um, But we got married right before my senior year of college. So that last year of school, um, I was married and we lived in a little apartment in Normal Heights, San Diego, which is just above... um, downtown. And my parents thought it was hilarious that we lived in normal heights because I'm like barely five feet tall and my husband is six foot three. So that was like hilarious that we lived in a place called normal heights. And then, (laughs) and then after school, I, um, I launched a blog and a YouTube channel and I did that along with some social media work for clients for a couple years. And then my husband got accepted to do a master's in Georgetown here in Washington, DC. So we moved here and we really love it. I think initially we thought we'd only be here for the length of his program, but Uh, While he was in school, I found uh, a really great job that I love. And there's just a great um, community of friends that we found here. And I think I think we'll be here for a while. Awesome. I'm so glad you guys have been able to settle down there and just kind of grow where you've been planted. Um, I'd love to hear more specifically about kind of the struggles along the way to becoming a mom and how you and Matt dealt with things not going necessarily the way everyone thinks they're going to go initially. Before we got married, when we were dating, we talked a lot about adoption. And I think a lot of that stemmed from my my own family. So I'm one of six kids and all of my siblings are adopted. So the idea of of building a family through adoption was something that had kind of always been part of our conversation as we moved closer to engagement and then eventually marriage. And but, you know, that being said, before we got married, I had no reason to believe that we would have trouble conceiving naturally. I had never had any like health concerns or anything like that. But um, it that turned out to be the case. It turned out that that we did have trouble conceiving naturally. And I think in those first maybe four years or so of marriage, I went to six or seven doctors who all kind of had different ideas about what was going on. Um, I had endometriosis, um, like lappers laser surgery. And I went to a chiropractor and physical therapy and and all sorts of things that I would later learn weren't actually like treating the root of my issue. But, um, you know, that was a that was a pretty rough time. You know, I'm a I'm a pretty positive person by nature. And I think at the time, I didn't realize it. But talking with my husband recently, and looking back now, I think 
that's really the only time in my life where I could honestly say I was depressed. Like I'm, I'm someone who likes to be in control and, and not being in control of, you know, my health and kind of what was going on. I was dealing with a lot of uncertainty and frustration and and really, I guess what I perceived to be a failure, like I, I felt like I was failing as a woman and as a wife that, you know, I made a vow to, to bring children into the world with my husband. And I felt like I was failing at that, that piece of my marriage. So it definitely took a toll. And I didn't, I think because I'm such kind of a happy person by nature, I didn't realize I was depressed until now looking back at that time and kind of how I was feeling. So, and all that to say, I'm, I'm so grateful for my husband who was really supportive and caring and he never got frustrated with me at that time. But, um, I guess it was probably at about the four year mark in our marriage, we said, look, like there's a reason we aren't conceiving clearly, you know, God has other plans for our family. So if we said, if by our fifth wedding anniversary, we aren't pregnant, let's start the home study process to adopt. And that was like a a huge kind of relief because like I said, you know, we'd always talked about adoption, but it's kind of one of those things that I, I don't know, it's kind of tricky to know like when to start the process. So it was such a lift off my shoulders to to put a date on it to say like, look, if if this isn't happening, you know, God clearly has other plans for us. Let's start the process then. So, and then it was actually around that time that we moved to DC. Um, and for me, I think the the fresh start really helped, I guess, like jigger me out of that depression. And we were in a new city. I, I had a new job pretty shortly after we moved here and a, jo- a job that I, you know, had a lot of fulfillment and, and I really enjoyed. And then our fifth anniversary was when we were here in DC. So while we were here, we started looking into adoption agencies here in the area. And it's funny, all these things kind of happened at the same time. So we moved here and it was our fifth anniversary and um, I was starting to feel a lot better. And uh, as we started the adoption process, I found a doctor here and I was talking with him and sharing my story and he was looking at my records and he had this hunch that my stress hormones were out of whack. And he had me do this um, saliva test where you like spit in these tubes, like at different times throughout the day. And it looks at your cortisol, your epinephrine, your norepinephrine, basically like all your stress hormones. It looks at all of those throughout the day. And um, because it's like circadian, I guess is what they say. It's like it goes in a a loop throughout the day so yeah so he was so I did that and um and it turns out that I had extremely elevated stress hormones like he said you have PTSD levels of stress hormones and he said to me like if we don't get this under control you're gonna have a like a mental breakdown, like very soon. And I was like, what? Like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is crazy. Like, it was, it was insane. So it was a relief, I guess, to finally have answers to a lot of how I'd been feeling and what I'd been dealing with for several years at that point. And it also kind of got to the root of why we hadn't been able to um, maintain a, a pregnancy because my body was like, thinking that it was like, freaking out I don't know it's just like everything was freaking out so it was pretty crazy after I was put on medication to kind of put those hormone levels down to normal levels it was it was nuts like I I didn't even realize how different I felt but once those hormones were under control I felt like myself again it was it was really really crazy so 
when I like women now who I talk to have like trouble or are when they say that they have some of the symptoms I have, I'm like, do this spit test. Like maybe you have stress. I don't know. But um, it was pretty crazy after kind of get a, getting everything normalized. And there was one day where I woke up and I was just like, oh my gosh, like life is amazing. This is so, so great. So, um, so while I was getting all those hormone levels under control, we were going through the home study process, which is the process that you go through with a state certified adoption agency to become an approved couple to adopt a baby. So all of that was kind of happening all at once. Um, but it's been kind of a beautiful process to like get my health under control while adopting a baby. It's been a crazy, but very beautiful experience. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that story. I can't even imagine how much of a whirlwind that must be to, you know, have all those hormones affecting you and then, you know, trying to conceive at the same time. Uh, as you were talking, or I was thinking actually of a couple of friends of mine who also struggle with infertility. Do you have maybe like three tips that you might give women who are kind of struggling and in the midst of what you were describing, um, how you felt when you were going through all of that? It's a tricky thing to offer advice to women who are going through it because as someone who who has and I guess sort of is going through it you know maybe maybe it's pride on my part when I would when people would offer me advice I'd be like listen honey I've tried it all like please do not give me any advice like advice is the last thing that I need but all that to say like all all I really wanted to hear during those times was like you're not alone like you're not um you're not less than and you're not, you know, failing. It's just, you know, God's given you this cross for a reason. And you're not less of a woman, you're not less of a spouse, because you're dealing with this. It's just, there's a reason and to kind of embrace that, if you will, and um, just know that there are other women that are going through it too. And to me, it was helpful. Like if, if I kind of made the first move, like if, if someone was kind of dancing around, like, why don't you have kids? Or like, you know, if I could tell they were kind of like dancing around that conversation, I would kind of make the first move and say like, you know, this is what's going on. Like, you know, what's going on with you. So it's kind of tricky, but I don't know if I have advice so much as just, it's okay to be upset, but know that you're not less of a woman or less of a spouse. And and just find other people that are going through what you're going through and rally behind them and just know that God has a plan for what's going on and, and don't lose hope. That's great advice. That kind of reminds me too of, I've, I've never struggled with infertility, but I've had some health issues postpartum um, with my pelvis. And I had some of those same feelings that you're saying, you know, just having the feeling that you're less than a woman or that your body's failing you. But that's so true that just to embrace that is it's so relieving. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And this is a, maybe a little bit of a tangent, but is there anything that you think, at least just from your perspective, is something not to say to someone struggling with conceiving? Because I'm sure there are definitely wrong things to say. People don't always know the best way to approach that conversation, if at all. I mean, it's it's personal too. Yeah, I don't mean for this to sound cold but like the thing that really grinded my gears was when people would say like just relax or like have a glass of wine and like relax like oh my gosh like if one more person told me to relax I would like shove their head through a wall like it was like that was the thing that was like I don't think relaxing is the problem like don't tell me to relax but 
that's so funny how you know, so many people tend to just reduce their, I don't know, all their knowledge into just one sentence. And sometimes it just can be taken the wrong way. That kind of reminds me, I have a, a friend who she just um, had a miscarriage earlier this year. And she was saying that people keep on asking her, you know, when she's going to have kids because she got married a couple years ago. And then one time recently when someone asked her that, she just said, well, actually, I just had a miscarriage. And then you should have seen the person's face was like, Oh, okay. I'm going to stop asking these sorts of questions. But. And that's the thing I feel like with infertility or even adoption, like most of the questions that, you know, kind of get under your skin or kind of annoy you. It's like, to me, it's helpful to think like those people, they mean well, right? Like they're not trying to like make you upset. Like they, they're genuinely coming from a place of wanting to understand or wanting to help or something. And, honestly, it's something I still struggle with. Like when people say, especially now that we have our baby, like say things that kind of like get under my skin. It's just knowing that it's either just lack of knowledge or just misunderstanding. And like, they're coming from a place of good, take a breath and like respond in charity and like, try not to, to get upset knowing that they don't know the whole story. And they're just trying to offer like the best advice that they can give. Yeah. I think that's a really good piece of advice. Just like hoping and assuming that people mean the best, even if maybe they're not coming from a good place, just assuming that can kind of be good for your own sanity sometimes. Absolutely. But um, something I would love to hear more about in more detail, you kind of alluded to it, but I would love to hear more about the adoption process. I feel like it's a little bit of a mystical thing to people who, who know nothing about it. And then just kind of if there was a moment when you realized that Phoebe was going to be your daughter, yeah, so um, I'll try to be as brief as possible. But um, so we um, we found I was actually on Twitter one day when we were looking for adoption agencies, and I saw that there was this article about um, these women that were graduates from Franciscan University and had adopted children themselves, and they had started an adoption agency in Northern Virginia. And um, they started the agency for young couples who want to adopt, but maybe other agencies are cost prohibitive, because I think that's kind of one of the biggest things that is brought up in adoption is like the cost. So um, these women started Sienna Adoption Services, specifically for young couples who who want to adopt, but maybe don't have, you know, a ton of money to go through the process, but really want to welcome a child into their home. So we found Sienna, and we started um, going through the home study, which took about six months or so to complete. And I think people have this idea that the home study is this kind of like insane, laborious process that's just like ridiculous. And I mean, I guess it is in some ways, like, but but really, if you just take it one piece of paper at a time and one interview at a time, it's it's really not as crazy of a, a process as I think some it's sometimes made out to be. It's basically just a long interview process to determine that you and your spouse are adjusted, that you have an income, that, you know, you don't have anything in your past that, you know, would prohibit you from being a good parent. And if you just kind of take it one piece of paper at a time and one interview at a time, one fingerprinting at a time, it, it turns out to not be as bad as I, I think it's made out to be. But, um, but you know, I, I kind of think like, even if you're having a baby biologically, like I never have, but, you know, 
you both of you could speak to the idea that there's still like preparation there too, right? Like it's, it's just months of preparation in a different way for us. It was like notaries and fingerprintings. And for you, it was like, you know, doctor's appointments and all sorts of things. Like it's just, it's just preparation in a different way. And I think if folks think, think about it that way, it's, it's not quite as crazy, but our home study was approved in, I guess it was December of 2018. And Sienna, they're not a placement agency. And basically what that means is they aren't licensed to connect babies to adoptive couples. So a lot of other agencies are kind of like what you would say connected to the system where, you know, when, when children are placed up for adoption, agencies are kind of like connected to that. But Sienna will basically just approve you in your state to be an adoptive couple. So essentially what that meant for us is that we would be looking into a private adoption. So that would be, we find a young woman who would like to place her baby with us. And we kind of go through the process, um, just us and a lawyer versus going through a placement agency. Um, so once our, our profile was approved in December of last year, we sent, um, it's basic, it's called a profile, but it's basically just like a dating profile. But if, like for adoptive couples. So it's like, you know, there's pictures of us and it says, this is what our life is like. And just things about you that an adoptive mom would want to know. Like if she was looking at you and thought like, these look like great people I'd like to place my baby with. So we sent our profile to my mom actually. And she sent it to a friend whose son, hopefully like we can follow this. So my mom sent it to her friend whose son is a benefactor to a maternity home in San Diego, California. And this was maybe like three weeks after our home study had been approved. And one of the women who founded the home, actually, um, she got our profile and she sent me an email while I was at work. And, you know, I'm going to paraphrase, but the, the email said like, there's a young woman at our home and it's a unique situation, but, you know, give this woman a call. And of course, like, I'm at work and I'm like freaking out because I'm like, I don't know what this means. Like I call Matt immediately and we, we get on the phone with, um, with the folks at the maternity home and we found out, um, what the situation was. And she explained that, uh, one of their residents had recently moved to California from West Africa and she was about, um, I think at the time she said she was about four months pregnant, but it turned out she was a bit further along than we thought um, and that she was looking for a couple to place her baby with. There's a lot more to to her story. And one of the things that I've learned about adoption and kind of going through this process is that a lot of that, like a lot of um, a lot of this process is Phoebe's story, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, that there are things about her story and how she became our daughter that are hers, like hers to know. And, um, when she's older, if she wants to share those things, she can, but, um, there's just things about her story that, you know, we don't really share because, you know, it's personal and sensitive. And when Phoebe's older, she wants to share, she can, but, um, but essentially all, all that to say, um, the birth mom, she looked at our profile and, um, she chose us. She said, yes, like, I want to place my baby with these people. So of course, well, it was kind of, it was a funny, it was like a, we had back and forth for a little while and we were going through the woman at the maternity home. And I remember I share an office with this very nice guy, but you know, he's, he has like no idea what's going on. Like, And I'm in the back of the office and um, 
the the woman who runs the home, she texted me and said, she's looking at your profile right now. And I remember just like dropping to my knees and thinking like, you know, there's nothing to do. Like it's, it's out of your control. Just sit here and, and hope that she picks you. And she did. <laughs> and I was like in the middle of a work day and I like text Matt and we're like freaking out. It was, it was awesome. But, um, poor Kevin, who's my desk mate was probably like, what in the friggin' world is going on with this girl? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, she, she picked us and she chose us to, to place her baby. And, um, from that point, we started building a relationship with her and because we have an open adoption. And I think, um, some people probably hear that and I think they think, like, does that mean she can change her mind or she can, you know, come see the baby every day or something? But essentially, um, all adoptions now are open. I think like back in the day, you know, moms would place their baby and you hear now of all these stories of people finding their birth mom and all that stuff. But most adoptions now are open. Um, and essentially, basically what that means is that's the only part of the adoption process that's not legally binding. So like we don't have a legal form that says, you know, you have to contact this person every day or something. It's basically just like an ongoing conversation and relationship with birth mom. And um, it's basically on a spectrum. So it can be anything from just sending pictures a few times a year to, you know, in, in some cases, like we know of people who have monthly or even weekly visits with birth mom. But in our case, our adoption is definitely closer to the closed um side of the open adoption spectrum but it basically just means like she has our contact information we have hers and um and we send updates when she asks for them and we send her pictures but um there's no sort of like plan to see her all the time or anything but but anyways all that to say while she was pregnant we would text and we'd send her little care packages and um <laughs> she would ask for little things and we would send them just to make her feel comfortable and, and happy. And cause she was, you know, new to this country and pregnant. And so we were basically just trying to do everything we could to, to make her feel comfortable and happy. And, um, we made plans to go out to San Diego just before the birth to meet her before the baby arrived. But, uh, little Miss Phoebe decided to come a week early. So it was Memorial day. And we got a text saying like, you know, we think birth mom's going into labor. And of course, we're like, oh, you know, crap, like we have to change our flights and all this stuff. And, you know, we thought it was her first baby. And, you know, we thought we'd have time to get there for the birth. But she came very quickly. So she was born um, the night of May 27th. Phoebe Francis was born. Um, and then we arrived in California to meet her the morning of May 28th. And then to your question of like, when did I realize that she was my daughter? Um, it's funny because before she was born, like that's that's something that kind of comes up a lot with adoption is like questions of like, will I bond with her? Um, will she bond with me? Like, will I have that feeling of like, this is my child? And before she was born, like I never even thought about it. Like I didn't really think I wasn't concerned about it at all. Um, but then as we were walking into the hospital, like to meet her, I just had this like wave wash over me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is it. Like, what if I meet her and I don't, don't feel anything like, oh my gosh, like this is it, this is it, this is it. And I'm like freaking out. But then <laughs> the door opened and we saw her and she wasn't, you know, in those little like 
baby carts and she was having her hearing test done and I looked at her and it was just instant like we just love her so 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 much and like the idea that I even had that concern for a second is like so silly to me now <laughs> gosh that's such a beautiful story when you're talking you're almost getting tears in my eyes so thank you so much for sharing that I could tell I could just hear the excitement in your voice and I have no doubt that you love her so much that's so beautiful it's funny because one of the questions that I actually was going to ask you is what what you just said that um you know, I've heard from a lot of women who are considering adoption, you know, that is one of their worries is, will I love the baby enough as if she's mm-hmm. my own? Um, so um, you you answered that somewhat. So I don't know if you have any other advice, maybe if you could <laughs> give to women who are kind of worried about that or stressed out about that. And then also about the open adoption process. I, I have one friend who has adopted two children, one open and one closed. And uh, she was just saying initially how it was a little difficult having the open adoption process, just, you know, kind of the constant contact with the birth mom and trying to find that equilibrium. So I don't know if you have any advice uh, for moms on how to kind of manage that and get in a groove, I guess, with, with the birth mom. Yeah. So to the first question, like I said, like, it's funny because I think my husband probably thought about it more than I did. Just like the whole, like, will I bond with this baby or, you know, will I love her in the way that people talk about, you know, when you physically birth a child and you look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, like I would walk through fire for you. Like, will you have that feeling when you, when you look at this baby? And like I said, I, I didn't even think about that. And I think that comes from just my own experience being in a family with, five siblings who are adopted. And, you know, when people ask me, like, is that your sister? It's like, of course it is. Like, I can't imagine my life without my siblings. Like they're my siblings and they were meant to be my siblings forever. Like that was just it. Like that's how it's supposed to be. So I never really thought about it until we're walking in. And I think it's because like, this is our first baby. Like I've never, I've never been a mom before. And just all of those feelings wrapped up together. But, um, I would just say like if if you're a woman who's about to adopt a baby or considering adopting a baby like you know if if that's how your life is supposed to go like if that's God's plan for your life and for your family and for your baby like don't sweat it sis like you're going to love that baby so much like don't even sweat it <laughs> And then what was your sorry remind me of your second question oh the open adoption yes um so I can only speak from our experience but um, the main thing that really helped us was to just be really proactive in setting the expectations. So, um, it was kind of difficult cause we were hoping to sit down with her and have the discussion in person before the baby was born. But because Phoebe came early, it kind of changed our plans a little bit. But once she was born, um, you know, we just sat down with birth mom and, and she was kind of aware that the conversation was coming and it was just like, um, you know, with her, her situation, we kind of had to be delicate in how we would reach out to her. Um, so, you know, we basically just made, made a plan to say, you know, we're going to upload pictures on these days and you can look at them and you can reach out to us anytime. Um, you know, headline is basically just to be very proactive about setting the expectations and, and it, knowing that it's going to change, like just saying, you know, for the first year, like, this is what we're going to do. And then let's reassess later. Cause I know for our birth mom, I think 
right now it's very closed. Like, you know, we, we don't hear from her all the time, but we know that she gets the photos of Phoebe and, and that she loves her very much. And when she does call, she asks all sorts of questions and things like that. And knowing that right now, um, and how she's kind of going through her process is that it's very closed, but, you know, Matt and I have talked about that maybe when she's older and, and maybe dating or getting married herself and having more children, like maybe she'll go through another process and think, you know, I, I'd really like to reach out to her. And, and that's our open adoption, which is just, we're always here. And we, you know, Phoebe will always know who you are. And we're here if you, you know, want to have a relationship with her. But um, yeah, so I'm rambling, but basically just setting expectations of this is how we're going to communicate now and just always being willing to, to reassess and say, this is what works for us, what works for you. Um, but being very deliberate and setting those expectations on both sides. That sounds really key for you that you essentially set boundaries, but you also are open to things changing in the future. I think that's a great attitude to have in, in any situation. Uh, I was actually thinking while you were talking about moms who are adopting, being afraid they might not bond with their child the same way. I know I personally had just struggles bonding with Jackson when he was born. And I know it's not an uncommon experience just because with your biological kids, you go through so much in pregnancy. And then whether it's a natural delivery or a C-section, you go through so much just for them to get here that I know for me, I didn't even know him, you know, when I first met him. So it it mostly at the beginning was like, I just got to keep this kid alive. And I love him because he's my kid. But it's hard to feel this intense love right off the bat immediately, I think, in any type of situation when you're becoming a mom for the first time. So yeah, I just want to throw that out there too. I think it's normal for any mom to feel that way. That like warms my heart because I think that's like one of the biggest like things people have. And you know, I don't know if like people will see pictures of me, but I'm like the whitest white girl on the planet. And Phoebe is of Nigerian descent. So she's like very, very dark. And so I think it just like naturally people want to ask questions of like, did you bond? Like, did she take to you? And, and Lauren, to your point that it's like, we don't know the baby, like they come into the world and they're just like little squishes. Like we're all like learning about the babies, like when they come, you know, so it's like, it, it's kind of like a uniting thing that we're all like figuring out who these little people are. Um, but also I think like for adoptive moms who maybe get questions about like, you know, did she bond with you? Did she take to you? Like all those sorts of questions. I think it just comes from a place of curiosity, you know, because it's like, if you had a child inside of you for nine months, it's like there's that natural bond that's there. So people kind of just have this natural question of, did that baby take to you? And um, there's this Catholic blogger that I really love. And, and she talks about this because she's adopted a baby. And I just think like, I'm up in the middle of the night with her, just like you are with your biological baby. Like when she cries, I comfort her. Like, why wouldn't she take to me? Like, I'm her mom, you know, like, it's we're all kind of figuring out how to bond with him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just as Lauren was saying too, it's that even if it is your biological child that, you know, you could even struggle with it as well. So it's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, if that is, if that is an issue as well. 
We would also love to just hear about, since you're a working mom, how you balance, uh, you know, switching gears a little bit, how you balance being a working mom and having a new baby. I know that there's so much advice out there and we're wondering if you had any particular advice since you live in Washington, D.C. and you're a busy working mom and if you have any advice for moms. Yeah, I think I'm very much still in the thick of figuring all of that out. One of the biggest like changes for me, I think, after she was born was just kind of like the reshift in focus. Um, so going back to work was was really hard, but knowing that I was, you know, doing it for my family really keeps me motivated, and and that's really my main driver. Like I enjoy my work, but it's really like the the purpose of like providing for my family and things that really keep me going I truly could not do it without Matt like it just like wouldn't happen he has his own business and he has more flexibility with his work and between him and then we've hired a part-time nanny so that he can get some work done during the week but um I know people say it all the time that it takes a village but like truly like if I didn't have Matt and if we didn't have help I I couldn't do it. So I guess the advice, I don't know if it's advice so much as just like, you need help. Like it just won't happen unless you find people who will help you. And we're here in DC and we don't have any family in the area. So it was like kind of tricky and, and honestly took some humility on our parts to like reach out to friends and coworkers to say like, we need help. Like, do you know anyone kind of thing, but you can't do it alone. Like you need help and it's okay. Yeah, that's so true. It's so sad that in the United States, it seems like especially that we're just so focused on individuality that I think that that's lost a lot of the times in families. I've talked about this a lot with, you know, Lauren and other friends that it's just we're so individualistic and we just want to do everything ourselves that it, it takes a lot for us to just realize that it does take a village, as you said. You know, we're like I said, we're still kind of figuring it out. She's four months old and I really just went back to work this last month. So we're still definitely still figuring it out and kind of like how we kind of had to set a timeline for when we would start the adoption process. We kind of had to set a timeline for this season of life to say like, you know, we live in a really expensive city. And while we went through, you know, a more cost effective adoption agency, there's still lots of costs associated with adoption and just recognizing that like for this next year, like I'm a working mom and I'm doing this for my family and you know, maybe in a year we can reassess and, you know, I can work from home or, or things like that. But that's one thing that's been really helpful too, is to like set a timeline on this season of my life to say like, maybe this isn't, you know, how I want to spend, you know, all of Phoebe's childhood, but knowing that for this season of life, I am a working mom, I'm doing this for her and to lean on people to, to get through and know that, you know, you're doing your best and, and people are here to help you is, is very, um, freeing, I guess. <laughs> I love that approach to life. I think that's helpful in so many situations because especially at the beginning of a new chapter or a transition, things can feel crazy and you can feel kind of out of control and just out of your element and uncomfortable. And I mean, when you think about it, that's pretty normal because, you know, some huge aspect of your life has changed. Um, and if you give yourself time to adjust, I think that's being really gracious to yourself and just to everyone else who is affected by the change because you might end up, you know, after six months feeling like, oh, this is working out really well. Or maybe at the end of that year, you'll think, oh, here are some changes we would like to make, but at least you're not doing something on a whim and you're giving 
yourself the chance to kind of just figure things out. And I think that's a really great approach. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, like, it's so easy to get kind of in the groove of the grind of like your day to day, just getting through. And if you don't kind of like set those timelines on things to kind of reassess and like rejigger your life it's so easy to just kind of like get caught up in just getting through that you're not taking the time to say like you know this is the goal of my life or like this is why I'm here for my family like making those big life decisions it's just so easy to get wrapped up in the day-to-day unless you proactively set like times to reassess your life Something I would love to hear about, we ask a lot of our guests this, but maybe just sharing a story about a beautiful or difficult or both experience uh, about becoming a mom. Um, Since you're a first-time mom, especially, I think it's just this whole new dimension of yourself that you're discovering. And there's usually some really fun moments too in the mix. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it was really that like meeting her in the hospital and I don't know if it was one moment, but just like that entire day of, of sitting with birth mom and sitting with Phoebe in the hospital. And it just became like so clear to me during, you know, that day that, you know, the waiting and, and the doctors and the prayers and the pain and like all of that stuff that brought us to that moment. I just had this like profound sense of knowing that I would do it all over again. Like I would do it all a million times if Phoebe was at the end of it all. Like knowing that it was God's plan from from forever that Phoebe would be our daughter and knowing that me specifically, but Matt and I together kind of had to go through that to get to her. And you know, I I think I'm a better mom, like because of that, like experiencing those trials and that pain and and then and then coming to her like I I think Matt and I are stronger because of it. I think I'm stronger because of it. And I think if, you know, if someone listening, if you're like in that season of pain or frustration or just know that like I'm praying for you because I I know what that's like. And I'm definitely praying for women who are going through that and just like rest in knowing that, that there's a plan and it might not be your plan, but it's probably better. I think it's like safe to say that (laughs) it's probably better when you finally get to to that moment. And for me, it was like sitting in that hospital room with, with her and birth mom and being like, man, like, this is so cool. Like I wouldn't trade anything for this. It's so funny because Emily and I were just saying something similar the other day about how, you know, pregnancy is similar. I think in a sense, I mean, I think there are a lot of parallels in the sense that you get increasingly miserable and it's, not just physical, it's emotional and mental, just stress on yourself, especially the first time because you don't know what to expect. But when you meet your kid and now that Jackson is what, like 20 months old now, and he's a fun little toddler, it just, it's crazy to look back on those struggles and think like, I would absolutely do it all again for him. But when you're in the middle of it, you just, you haven't met that person yet. So it's really hard to see through to the other side. And once you're through, I think it's, like you said, it's amazing to to look back and think like in a heartbeat. Yes, I would, I would do it again for them. Right. I just had a moment the other day when I was looking at my daughter, Kate, and I just saw her walking down the sidewalk when we were on a walk. And I just thought to myself, Oh, I can't, I can't believe that she was in my stomach once, you know, and I had such a miserable pregnancy and didn't really enjoy it that much. But then in that moment I thought, Oh, I wish I could 
I wish I could carry her in my stomach again, you know, sort of what you were saying, Bridget, like I wish I could go through the process again, even if it was miserable, knowing that on the other side that it would be my beautiful daughter, you know, so that's, that's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, the last question that we always ask our moms, which I'm sure that you've heard it before since you said that you listen to our podcast as well, is um, ties into our theme of there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. And I know that you're still a newer mom, but we were wondering if you could share an example of maybe a moment where you realize that it's okay not to be perfect and instead it's it's okay to be a good one instead. Yeah, so... This might be kind of like a roundabout way to get there, but just go with me for a second. Um, uh, like I think about that, the fact that, you know, you know, I became a mom through adoption and I think about how, you know, adoption would not exist if everything was perfect, right? Like if, if everything was as it should be, adoption wouldn't happen. It, w- it wouldn't be a necessary thing to, to place children with other families. And I think about like, you know, like no one, like nothing, no situation is perfect. No mom is perfect. I'm not a perfect human. No one is perfect. But, um, but no one can be Phoebe's mom like me. I was always supposed to be Phoebe's mom and, and no one can be, no one can be your baby's mom and no one can be your friend's baby's mom. Like no one can do that the way that you can. And, and I'm Phoebe's mom, and I guess resting in that, like when I get overwhelmed or I feel like I'm failing or I'm not perfect or just resting in the knowledge that, you know, God chose me to be her mom, and that's good, and that's, that's enough. That's enough.